This is Macro Horizons, episode 45, and the tweet goes on. Presented by BMO Capital Markets, I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with John Hill and Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of November 18th. And as episode 45 invokes thoughts of our mid-40s, we're reminded that we're only as old as we act, right? views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to make this as interactive as possible. So, that being said, let's get started. It was an exciting week in the Treasury market. Let's face it, we got 10 year yields recently up to 197 before we saw a very significant bid for treasuries that brought us solidly back into the middle of the range. Two tens got to 27 basis points in what we would like to characterize as early signs of a classic reef steepening of the curve, very consistent with where we are in the cycle. Nonetheless, a bid did emerge. Part of it had to do with ongoing trade tensions. We saw some weakness in overseas data. And while Germany did manage to avoid a technical recession, that in and of itself doesn't change the broader macro narrative. And as we have been on board with the backup in rates, it follows intuitively that the correction back into the prevailing range does provide a reasonable amount of support via a consolidation, which reinforces the upper end of the range as being the most relevant trading environment for the time being. Stochastics have crossed in favor of lower yields, although we will remind once again that momentum measures can be worked off simply through holding the current levels rather than necessarily seeing a more bullish correction. In terms of the incoming monetary policy commentary, Powell and a variety of Fed speakers changed little from the wait-and-see stance that was communicated at the most recent meeting. In that context, it's a little surprised to see that a December rate cut has been fully priced out, and for the time being at least, the Fed seems comfortable with that. Given the data that we have seen recently, it would be very surprising if we actually saw the Fed willing to cut further next month. The parallels between the 90s have continued to be drawn, 75 basis points, six months on hold, reassess. Our baseline assumption remains, got the 75 basis points, we're moving towards that six months on hold. And when the next definable trend in monetary policy emerges, it's going to be toward lower rates. That doesn't mean that we will not have a period in which it appears that it could go either way. We've made the point in the past, and it is worth reiterating, that there is a somewhat binary outcome for 2020. Either the Fed is on hold the entire year, 
or the Fed has to cut and they have to cut aggressively toward the effective lower bound. What we're starting to see is the return of some chatter that the Fed's next move might actually be a rate hike. Again, not our base case scenario, but it's something which warrants keeping in mind as we watch the shape of the yield curve play out and the outright level of yields continue to be contained within very definable trading parameters as the end of 2019 very quickly comes into focus and attention intuitively then shifts towards 2020, which is a year that promises to be exciting on a variety of different levels, not least of which on the political front. So it's been an interesting past couple of weeks, at least in terms of the price action and some of the economic data. How has this shifted the outlook for 2020? After all, year end is coming up. Year-end is on the way, that is true. The price action over the last couple of weeks has brought into focus this notion that the Treasury market is going to continue in very typical fashion to trade in a range. And the bigger question at the moment is, what does the upper bound of that range look like? Is it 2%? Is it 2.25? It's still a bit early to have a skew on that for the first quarter of 2020. However, we do continue to lean pretty heavily on the seasonal tendencies within the treasury market. By that, we simply mean that there is a habit of pricing in a fair amount of economic optimism toward the end of the fourth quarter, the beginning of the new year, as forecasts are made for the next 12 months, both in markets as well as on the corporate side, and then subsequently as the realities of the economic data start to flow through, that we get a better sense for how the real economy is performing, and that has tended to be associated with a drift lower in treasury yields through the summer months. Historically, we have seen the low point in the middle of September. So as we contemplate the next few quarters, there are a couple things that are important to keep in mind. One is that the Fed has completed their 75 basis point preemptive easing campaign. We will need to see the economic data deteriorate a bit further to get the Fed prompted to do more. And more generally, the timing of all of this meshes well with the notion of a lagged impact of monetary policy movements. The current upswing that we're seeing, I would argue, is a function of Fed actions earlier this year, not just the 75 basis points and cuts, but you know, it was less than 12 months ago that we were still on a quarterly hiking campaign. So it's the full stimulative impact of calling off the hiking cycle, going on pause and executing 75, and we're starting to see that play out in markets now. The corollary of this, however, is, well, if the Fed is actually done with their 75 basis point mid-cycle adjustment now, one would expect at some point, call it late H1, early H2, 2020, that the evaporation of that accommodative impulse works its way through markets as well. This pattern conforms with the seasonals quite well, but most particularly, it just conforms with the bearish impulse that we're seeing now and could extend through the rest of the year. Yeah, John, and comparing it to the 90s episodes that we and others have been on about for quite some time, now that the futures market has essentially priced out the chance of a December cut, 
it's going to be very interesting early in 2020 to see how that barometer of Fed expectation shifts. The example of the 90s illustrates that the market does not like to price a flat path of policy. On hold for the foreseeable future only extends so far, and so, at least in my opinion, it's going to depend how the data finishes up 2019 and begins 2020, as well as what the Fed says alongside that data, to determine if in fact we start to see longer dated futures showing even the chance of a hike, or if things break in such a way that more cuts are going to be viewed as the path of least resistance. And I would say that my expectation is for Fed funds to still stay in inverted territory, to basically represent a downside skew in the path of rates. The source of this is quite fundamental. The Fed has indicated that they want to maintain the current stance of policy unless there's a material reassessment of the outlook. Now, I would argue that the bar to cut rates is a little bit lower than the bar to hike rates. Maybe the better way to phrase it is the bar to cut is high, the bar to hike is super high. And the way that we can see this play out is I don't think they're going to be seriously considering hiking unless we've had inflation develop both on the realized data, but also on survey and market-based measures. They can hold for here until they reassert inflation at call it 2.5 or even potentially higher, whereas the bar to cut could be as simple as another deterioration in trade negotiations. But haven't we seen break-evens, both five and 10-year, pick up pretty substantially from their collapse at the end of summer? Sure, break-evens certainly are higher, and that's consistent with the lagged benefit of a dovish monetary policy impulse. But it's important to keep in mind the outright level of these market-based measures of inflation compensation. They're higher than they were previously, but there's still a long way to go before it really reflects a symmetric outlook for PCE inflation around 2%. Another issue that we have been contemplating as we think about the Fed in the coming months is what happens if effective Fed funds continues to behave as it has been within the target range? Yeah, I mean, we've seen the effective rate now trade on top of IOER. But I don't think that's the important thing. I think from the committee's perspective, the important thing is that Fed funds has come within five basis points of the top or the bottom of the range. Now, what we saw in 2018, early 2019, is that when that five basis point level was reached... That's on the upside. That was on the upside. So Fed funds was five basis points from the top of the range. The committee was willing to respond by cutting IOER five basis points within the range. That was that technical adjustment. What's been interesting is we are now five basis points from the bottom of the range, which speaks to the efficacy of the repo injections and the Fed's bill purchase programs. So the question, I guess, is, does that five basis point trigger also apply to the bottom of the range and to the top of the range? Ben, what do you think? Well, I don't think they're going to hike. It's not QE and it wouldn't be a hike. That'll definitely be an interesting nuance within the details of the December meeting. After all, the target range itself is likely to stay on hold. But in terms of gauging the reaction function, they were more than willing to cut IOER to bring Fed funds down from the top of the range. So are they going to be as willing to act to preserve the integrity of the bottom of the range? Time will tell, I suppose. And the one thing that I would add to this discussion is the mechanics of it work out 
that it's still going to be bearish for the front end of the market all the way out to the five-year sector, regardless of whether or not any five basis point increase in interest on excess reserves is considered tightening or not. And obviously, we all know that it is simply the process of the Fed trying to make sure that effective stays where they want in the range. But nonetheless, it will be a bearish impulse for treasuries. Yeah. And I would add, just given the track record that Powell has had in the previous instances where IOER was cut, the fact that he was able to successfully separate the money market plumbing issues and the stance of monetary policy, at least make me optimistic that he'll be able to temper any quote unquote hawkish read from an action like that. And all of this is to say, of course, this is a plumbing issue, but where can we get some clarity on this outside of the Fed deciding whether or not to actually tweak IOER? I think next week's FOMC minutes will be a core spot. It's not obvious that they actually spoke about this or will have documented it. But if this was on their mind as they were discussing the modalities of the purchase program and repo facility, it's not unreasonable to think that they might slip a sentence in there somewhere to provide a little clarity around this issue for the market. And we'll also be looking at the FOMC minutes for any additional context on the probability that the Fed does go another 25 basis points over the course of the next several months. Again, our baseline is that they are done for now, but it's not outside of the realm of possibilities to get a sense from the minutes that they might be closer to another cut than the market is currently anticipating. I'd almost flip that logic on its head and hear me out, is that if you look at the last meeting, nobody dissented to indicate that they wanted to cut further than the 25. Not even Bullard? Not even Bullard. And since then, other traditionally very dovish members of the committee, like Kashkari, have indicated a happiness with the current stance of policy. Instead, the dissents came from not wanting to cut. So I guess all of this is a long-winded way of saying, do Rosengren or George feel so strongly about wanting to keep rates in that 175 to 2% range that we could actually see a vote for a hike? I'm skeptical that that's going to be coming at the December meeting. I mean, after all, monetary policy does in fact operate with a lag. So only six weeks between their final cut and then dissents in favor of a hike seems like a bit of a quick pivot, even for those more hawkishly inclined on the committee. To be fair, the hawks on the committee have been hawkish throughout this year. They have pushed back against the notion of any fine-tuning efforts. And the fact of the matter is, it wouldn't be atypical, particularly for some of the regional voters, to advocate for a bit of a retracement even here. And maybe one other way to cut it is if you look at Rosengren and George's dissents, they didn't dissent after the second cut to move the rate up by 50 basis points. They didn't dissent after the third cut to move it up by 75 basis points. They've kind of tracked the committee down a little bit in their indicated preference in the dissent. So maybe they're just going to be happy with an on-hold stance of policy for at least the next meeting or three. Let us not forget, we also have supply coming up relatively quickly. We have the announcement in the upcoming week of twos, five, sevens, as well as a reasonable amount of front-end issuance. Thus far, the auctions have continued to go remarkably well, all things considered. We have recently seen the new 10-year stop through a full basis point, and that in the midst of upward pressure on rates. So in that context, it's difficult to argue that there is anything other than ongoing sponsorship for U.S. debt. 
And during that refunding week, another encouraging detail on supply was the highest non-dealer award at a 30-year auction ever. Even despite the half basis point tail, the fact that the yield peaks in that undeniably bearish session were set by that 30-year auction, again, despite the tail, is telling regarding the continued structural demand for treasuries at auctions. Especially for duration, and the natural follow-up line of thought here is, well, should Treasury be issuing more dollar duration, either by ramping up the sizes of 30s in response to this big demand, or perhaps an ultra-long? One of the questions we've been getting frequently is, what's the next product Treasury is going to roll out? Is it going to be an ultra, something like a 50 or 100-year, or a 20-year issuance? Personally, I think 20s are much more likely. You've seen a lot more support from TBAC, and it seems that they're studying the issue a lot more deeply. And if we look at the timing of Treasury's borrowing needs, frankly, they're quite well funded, especially when you consider the Fed's return to balance sheet growth. But the expansion of their borrowing needs really coincides with 2021, particularly the second half of 2021. So there would be something elegant of trying to time the rollout of, say, 20s somewhere in that 2021 timeframe. That also is convenient because it would give a long enough runway to seriously study questions such as when in the calendar should 20s be rolled out? When should they settle? Should they mature in the middle of the month, like 10s and 30s. On that note, I would say yes, because it allows for better substitutability in the strips program. Basically, you could overlay the C-strips really well. But it's these kind of details that take a long time to both build support and study. About a two-year window makes sense. And also on that timeline is the potential introduction of the SOFR floater, another topic that was discussed at length in the most recent refunding. SOFR obviously still has some ways to go in terms of market development, but that fiscal year 2021 timeframe was also circled for the potential introduction for a new floater. And more generally, Treasury has indicated a strong desire to study that one-year SOFR floater, 20s and 50s. Honestly, I think 50s, aka Mnuchas, are being thrown in there more for political expediency, given the administration's desire to study ultralongs, whereas the actual analysis, T-back support, feedback from the primary dealer community all seems to point more towards that 20-year part of the curve. And as we've mentioned in the past, the 20-year point will have a series of natural buyers versus the futures contract, and it does take care of what one could argue is a bit of a dislocation in the shape of the overall yield curve. In the week ahead, there's very little new economic information that we expect will materially contribute to the outright level of yields in the treasury market or the shape of the curve. It's in environments like these that we tend to lean more heavily on the technicals to provide trading direction. On the one hand, momentum measures were extended into overbought territory at least on the margin. We have seen stochastics now dutifully cross in favor of lower rates. And while that might portend a more significant rally, our baseline expectation is that we're more likely to see an extended period of consolidation while the 
180 to 197 range remains the most relevant trading parameters into the end of the year. Do we get 2% tens? Well, we did get 197, although we do remain biased to see two-handle tens by the end of the year. There's potentially new information on the horizon as it relates to a lot of the political unknowns in Washington. And since the Fed is not going to cut rates in December, it follows that they will spin a rosier economic picture in order to justify being on hold for a couple quarters. We continue to see December as a non-starter for a potential rate move. And more importantly, we expect that the Fed will remain on hold for the first half of 2020 with the early summer months being the most likely departure point for the next run of monetary policy. We think it's going to be easing, although we have started to hear an increasing amount of chatter that the Fed's next move might actually be a rate hike. The reason that we don't think that this will be the case largely comes down to the fact that the Fed has been very clear in their desire and objective to shift the way in which the market believes that the Fed will be addressing inflation going forward. If we think about the second half of 2019, not only did the Fed cut 75 basis points, but they cut 75 basis points at a point in which core inflation was trending above what we had seen throughout most of this cycle. So if Powell wants to change the way that the market thinks about Fed and inflation, He's done a pretty good job thus far. Fast forward to 2020, in our mind, that makes it much less likely that even if we do see an increase in inflation, that is not a given, particularly in light of the most recent OER figures within the core CPI data, but even if we were to see that, the notion that the Fed would then subsequently try to offset that inflation increase via rate hikes doesn't really resonate, particularly not at this point in the cycle. We do get the FOMC minutes on Wednesday. Our expectations are for very little revelation in terms of what the Fed plans to do in 2020, although some justification in ending the rate cuts, defining fine-tuning as 75 basis points will certainly be interesting. Chatter about how the Fed might or might not need to adjust interest on excess reserves in order to keep the effective Fed funds rate where they want it to be in the range might be in the offing although not the type of information that we would ultimately expect to define the outright level of yields in the treasury market. Again, longer-term monetary policy plumbing issues, interesting food for thought, not necessarily going to overpower what we will see in terms of trading momentum. We will be keeping an eye on the shape of the yield curve, performance of risk assets, most notably as equities are right up against or at record highs. Our biggest takeaway is that there is some potential vulnerability for a correction into the end of the year. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. As the holidays come into focus and 2020 rate calls become topical, we're reminded of page one of the Strategist Guide to the Universe. Give them a level or give them a time horizon, but never give them both. 
Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email me at ian.lingen at bmo.com. That's I-A-N dot L-Y-N-G-E-N at B-M-O dot com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts, and commodity options or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you. To the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.